God has been using the prophets to speak to the people of Israel and the people of Judah about their sin. And we see God's patience and his love and his persistence in chasing after these people. But we also see how the people are just rebellious against the Lord. But he is faithful. And now we're at the place in Judah's history where it's about time for God to finally drop the hammer on them. He has cried out to them and cried out to them, and we're going to see that, but they keep pushing him away. And so now <coughs> we're right on the doorstep of God sending Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians in to take Judah. He's been pleading with them, but they're not listening, and we'll see that this morning. We're going to look at the first 25 chapters of Jeremiah, okay? And we're just going to hit high points because remember, what's happening in the book of Jeremiah and the other prophets is over the course of many, many years. We're going to see what we're looking at this morning is over the course of 23 years, okay? And the Lord's still using the prophets to reach out to a rebellious people. And we're going to be in the book of Zephaniah, how many people knew the book of Zephaniah existed? You know, okay, a few. It's one of those ones where it's like you, you really don't hear about. You know, I remember when I was, uh, started going to a church in Tucson. And uh, boy, you know, I grew up in church, but I never went to a church that were like, okay, today we're going to open up to Zephaniah. It's like, Zephaniah, is that really in the Bible? You know, Habakkuk, all right? And yet, lo and behold, they're there. And so we're going to finish up in Zephaniah. But this morning, we're going to begin in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. And we're going to begin with the call of Jeremiah. And as we look at this, we're going to see some similarities, kind of, all right, to Isaiah's calling, all right? If we go down... Or actually, chapter 1, verse 1, all right? We'll set the stage here. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So the ministry of Jeremiah begins in the thirteenth year of King Josiah, okay? And it stretches through this whole time before God actually allows Nebuchadnezzar to come in and take Judah. Jeremiah is in the thick of it. And as he's doing this, he's working for the Lord. He is attacked relentlessly by the very people of God. The very people that God has sent him to, to minister to, are the ones who are attacking him and even wanting him dead. All right. Now, to give you the background, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He is arguably, I think, the greatest king of Israel in a spiritual sense. Okay, because David is a man after God's own heart. We know that he loved the Lord and he was passionate about the Lord. But when he blew it, he really blew it. We don't see that in the life of Josiah. In Josiah's life, the thing that he did was he did not believe a pagan, that God actually called a pagan to go to war and to pass through the land of Judah. Necho was the pharaoh of Egypt. And the way that Josiah died was the Egyptians were coming through Judah to attack the Assyrians. And Josiah's like, no, I can't allow this. They're going to hurt my people. So Josiah goes up against the Pharaoh 
And Necho says to him, hey, I don't have a beef with you. I don't have a problem. I'm just passing through. And just let me go. Don't bother me. And Josiah is like, no way. You're not coming through the territory of Judah. So Necho says to him, look, man, God told me to do this. And you're in the way. Don't mess with what God wants to do. Now, if you were a godly person and you love the Lord, and a pagan was telling you that God was telling them to do a particular thing, would you believe it? You know, it makes me think of like, if, if Putin were to come through the United States to attack China, okay, and say to the American people, hey, don't worry, I'm just passing through, I'm not going to bother anybody, I've just got to beef with China, who would believe that, all right? Josiah did not believe it, and unfortunately, he didn't seek the Lord about it, and he ended up going to battle and dying. But with Josiah, he was a man who was passionate about purity and passionate about exalting the Lord and passionate about him being the king of Judah. And God blessed him. So what happens here is Josiah's been anointed king at the age of eight. At the age of 16, he begins to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. If anybody ever says to you as a young person, well, you know, you need some more experience. Well, tell that to Samuel. Tell that to Josiah. Tell it to Joash, okay? God used young people. God used little people. And God moved through their lives as they yielded to him, all right? So at the age of 20, Josiah now is like, you know what, we got a clean house. And he begins to purge not only Judah, which he's king over, but also Israel, which he's not. Israel has been taken over by the Assyrians. And in that void and vacuum, Josiah is going into the, the rest of Israel. And he's bringing revival and getting rid of the, the idolatry and all the junk that was going on. In the 21st year of his reign, Jeremiah comes on the scene. So God lays a foundation, and Zephaniah as well. Okay, Zephaniah is a little bit earlier in Josiah's reign. But what God is doing is he, he works with Josiah to build a foundation where the people can have the freedom to pursue the Lord, get right with God, and that God does not have to discipline but what we see is, despite what God does through Josiah and what God does through Jeremiah and Zephaniah, the people will not follow the Lord. We're going to see why. And what's crazy about this is, it's so much like America today, as a nation turns its back on God. And it's so much like the church today as people are going after the things that they want to hear, not what they need to hear, all right? So this is the background that we see here. And so if you go down to verse 9, here's where God begins to, to anoint him, okay? Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. Remember when with... Uh, um, Isaiah, he's before the Lord, and an angel takes a coal from the fire and touches his mouth and purifies him so he can uh, do the work of the Lord. Well, with Josiah or Jeremiah, it's different. The Lord touches his mouth and puts his words into his mouth. Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build up and to plant. So the words that God is giving Jeremiah are heavy stuff. And it's not just for Judah, not just for Israel, but he's going to be talking about the judgment of the nations as well. All right. In verse 11, he says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. So, Jeremiah, I want you to understand what I'm going to tell you. 
you can bank on the fact that I am going to do this, all right? Now, look at the response of this from the people. Go down to chapter 1, verse 17. But you dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay before you, you before them. And I behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So here's his, more, here's his marching orders. The Lord says to him, okay, bud, this is what I've got for you. I'm going to make you like a fortified city. The reason being is they're going to fight you for the things that I give to you to say to them. They're going to engage in all-out war against you for my sake. He says this twice. The second time comes later on where Jeremiah just wishes he was dead. He's like, I can't take this anymore. He's being beaten. He's being abused. He's being maligned. They want him dead. And this poor man of God is just taking the heat for just speaking the truth of God. So if we go down to chapter 2, verse 8. Now the Lord is speaking and he's talking about Israel and Judah and their attitude toward him. God says, therefore, I will contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children, I will contend. For cross to the coast of Cyprus, that's going westward, and see or send to Kedar, that's going eastward, and examine with care, see if there's been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. The first thing that God says to his people is this. I want you to look from the east to the west. And do we see people bailing on their gods? And these gods aren't even real. They're fake. But they are committed to those gods. They are loyal to those gods. And here you are, my people, who worship and are loved by the true God, the only God there is. And you're exchanging me for something that's fake. That is such human nature, where we treat the things that are so valuable sometimes as common, and the things that have no value really of great importance, right? It makes me think of like, you know, when, when, I, was, uh, when I was down in the, in the Amazon, uh, the way they can trap monkeys is they'll just take something that's shiny and they'll dig a little hole in a log and they'll put it inside the log and a monkey will reach in and it's just a, you know, something that just has a little bit of gleam to it and they'll grab it because they have to have that thing. They need it. And so they grab a hold of it, but then they can't get their fist out of the hole. And they're trapped. All they have to do is to let go of that cheap thing and they'll be free. But they're so bent on having that thing, they end up being caught and trapped. And that's the way we are so many times where we hold on to things of no value and we'll see that here where God's saying to Judah, would you please let go of these things so that I can bless you and so that you can live? Because God only wants the best for us. That's why Jesus came and died for us, so that we could have a restored relationship with the one who made us and loves us so much. And so he says, you know, guys, who, who does this? The world is more faithful to fake gods than you are to the true God. In verse 13, he says, 
For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Rather than coming to me and living water is that idea of flowing water, okay? And it's not like, don't think of like a river here, okay? Like the Baraboo River or something. Um, when, when we lived in Colorado, we lived up in the mountains, okay? And when you had living water, flowing water, it was clear and it was crisp and it was good and wholesome. It wasn't like, you know, the mud and the silt of a slow running river. It was something that, boy, when you drank of it, it was good stuff. That's what he's talking about. It's like, you know, I give you freshness. I give you something that is pure and wholesome and refreshing and good. But you are going and you're digging for yourself wells that can't hold any water. You put something in and it's gone. And it's human nature to invest in things that don't have any lasting value, right? We put our investments into this life. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths don't destroy and thieves don't break in steel and, and there's no rust. It lasts. But we tend to live for this life. And the Lord doesn't want that for us. But they're faithless. So we see that faithlessness if we go over to chapter 3, verse 10. And look at what the Lord says about the faithlessness, all right? And he's just said, look, the world is faithful to their fake gods. You're faithless to me. And he brings this out. Chapter 3, verse 10. Yet for all her treachery, for all her treachery, yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense declares the Lord. This is what he's talking about. Israel was corrected by God. Isaiah was prophesying. Um, Jonah was prophesying. Habakkuk was prophesying. Hosea was prophesying. And others were prophesying, saying, look, God is going to judge you if you don't repent of your sin. Israel didn't repent. The Assyrians came in and took them into captivity. And what God is saying here is, Judah, you're worse than your sister because you heard what I said to her. She didn't repent. You didn't repent. You saw my judgment upon your sister and you still didn't repent and you're still fighting against me. You're worse off than Israel is. So he's getting pretty, you know, down to the nitty gritty here. And he says, Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense declares the Lord. It's hypocrisy. It was pretense that they were serving the Lord. They were going through the motions. It was religion, but their heart wasn't there. The prophet Isaiah, he said, the Lord speaking through him, these people worship me with their lips but their heart is far from me. It's all just talk. There's no walk. There's no relationship. You ever been in a relationship where somebody's just talk, but their heart's not really there for you? A one-sided relationship, maybe? That's no fun. It's empty and it's shallow. And that's what Israel had. It was just a show. And so he calls out to them, and remember... He's wanting, this is the last ditch effort, all right? Josiah's on the throne. Every freedom and opportunity to follow the Lord is there. And God's calling out to repent. He says, And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah, for the reasons we just talked about. Go and proclaim these words toward the north, toward Jerusalem, and say, I mean, toward Israel. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. Okay, so confess your sin. 
that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among the foreigners under every green tree, committed spiritual adultery, and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So he's calling out in the midst of all this and saying, look, I'm not going to be angry with you forever. And we're going to see that at the end of this. I want you to come home. You can hear the cry of the father of the prodigal son. You know, that's what it makes me think of. Come home. Come home. I'm not angry with you. I love you. Just acknowledge your sin and come home and we'll take care of it. But they reject him. If we go over to chapter 5, verse 30, we see their attitude toward the Lord while he is crying out to them. Chapter 5, verse 30, it says, An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? The Lord says, this isn't a horrible thing. The prophets lie. And the priests do what they want to do. And here's the thing that's so horrible, is that the people want it this way. They like it this way. Paul tells us that in the last days, people will heap up for themselves uh, teachers who will tickle their ears, tell them what they want to hear. And we're living in a time in America where we're seeing that. Where you can go to churches and they will tell you anything you want to hear. And we'll see that a little bit more here. What, what makes you feel good? What makes you feel happy? You can have your best life now, okay? If this is the best life now, it stinks, okay? I, this is not, you know, I want to be with Jesus. That's the best life. And the only way to have a great life now is with Jesus. And that's what he's calling them to. Over in chapter 6, Look at the response, chapter 6, verse 10. God's crying out to them and he says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them as an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. The people don't want what God has to say. Remember when Jesus was ministering on his time on earth, right? And there were people who fought him tooth and nail, wanted him dead. They did not want to hear what he had to say. It wasn't just God loves you and I love you and I'm going to give my life for you. It's like you need to repent. You got to stop sinning. But see, we live in a time just like back then where you have pastors and teachers saying, no, you can do what you want to do and God will still love you and God will still take you to heaven. It doesn't matter what you do, even though it goes against what God says in the word of God. They look for comfort in lies. Go over to verse 13. We see this. For from the least to the greatest of them, Everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace. When there is no peace. They put a band-aid over it. And it's like, hey, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. It's going to be peaceful. It's going to be good. And God's saying, no, it's not. But people want to hear something that just makes them feel good. When people tell me I've got a problem, like this morning, 
you know, my youngest daughter, she says, Dad, you've got, you've got a vibe. And I'm like, I got a vibe? She says, yeah, you've got an irritable vibe. Josiah told me that too. And I'm like, you know, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, okay, let a thing be confirmed. There was. And it didn't feel good. I'm like, so before coming to church, I'm in the bathroom going, okay, God, this is just not cool. I have a vibe that's just totally not Jesus. And I'm getting ready to go and be with your people and worship you? No, we got, we got to fix this, you know? But it hurts. But see, real love cares about somebody enough to say, hey, look, you got a problem. Can you imagine going to the doctor and you having cancer, but the doctor doesn't want to make you feel bad? So they go, well, you know what? You're just a little uncomfortable. It's okay. Don't sweat it. No. Yeah, it may scare you to death to be told you have cancer, but at least now you know, hey, we can try to fight this thing and treat it. But we live in a society in our country now where people don't want to hear things that make them uncomfortable or hurt and make them have to change. But God loves us enough to be honest with us. Look what he says in verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths, my ways, where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Walk in this path, you're going to find rest. But they said, we will not walk in it. I sent watchmen, the prophets, over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. They wanted no part of what God was wanting for them. Chapter 7, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house, right there in the temple, and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates and worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of, uh, Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways, repent and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. He's standing there in the temple going, look, don't believe these lies because the priests and the false prophets were saying, hey, you know what? This is God's house. This is the temple of the Lord. Nobody's going to get it. God said his name is going to be here forever. God's not going to allow anything to happen to Jerusalem or to the temple. It's okay. Don't believe Jeremiah. Don't listen to what these naysayers are saying. It's all good. And God's saying, no, it's not all good. If you repent... And you change your ways, I'll let you stay. But if you don't, I've got to discipline you. And this is heavy stuff, but the people aren't wanting to listen to what God has to say. And we have this today where people are like, oh yeah, I'm totally good with God because I go to church. It doesn't matter if you go to church. There's a lot of people in church who are going to hell. There are a lot of pastors in pulpits that are not Christians, just like there were prophets and priests who were not followers of God. And God's warning them. It's like, look, I'm telling you the truth. Don't put your hope in what these people are saying. Don't trust them. But we put our trust in things like our denominations. Well, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Lutheran, I'm a Presbyterian. So what? What matters is we're a born-again Christian, a child of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's what matters. We don't go into heaven and, you know, God say, 
You know, why should I put you here, let you be in here? Well, I faithfully went to church all my life. Okay, and, well, you know, I have, you know, take your pick, whatever reason. If it's not Jesus, it doesn't matter. Don't trust in man. And that's what God says in chapter 17. If we go over to 17, verse 5, he's telling them, look, don't listen to these guys. And I know we're going over a lot of stuff, but remember, we're going through the course of 23 years here where over and over and over again, God is sending Jeremiah and Zephaniah and the prophets going, hey, we're coming down to the wire here. I'm trying to get your attention because I love you. And so chapter 17, verse 5, God says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. I can do this. I'm a good person. You know, I have every right to be, you know, in heaven because I'm a good person whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, an uninhabited salt land. Now, for me, I think of, like, has anybody ever been to Israel? Okay, one, two, okay. So, who's been to Masada? Okay, so Masada, when you stand up, now, the Dead Sea is like 900 feet below sea level, okay, about that. And so, when you get up on Masada, which is, the, the southern temple that Herod had built, and you're not quite at sea level. You know, you're still, I think, a couple hundred feet below sea level. But you look down and you can look out across the plain where the Dead Sea is. It's pretty sparse, you know. We were driving down there one time and there's like camels just kind of chugging through the, you know, it's just like weird. It's surreal, you know. But there's nothing there really, just shrubs. It's desolate. The salt poisons so much. But chapter 17, verse 7, look at what God says about those who trust in him. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. I give every man according to his ways and according to his, the fruit of his deeds. When we trust the Lord, it's like he says we're like a tree whose roots send forth and go deep to get water. And to find stability and strength. You know, I grew up in Arizona, in the desert. And along the, the washes, um, basically dry rivers, all right? They only had water in them when you had major flash floods. But there would be this green band all along them of big trees. And that's where the roots went deep. And there wasn't any water a lot of times. But those roots went so deep to pull out what water there was. It was seeking after the water. You know, we're, we've, we're battling our, our uh, red maple in our yard because its roots go deep to seek water, especially when it's dry like now. And in doing so, it tries to find water in our sewer line. And that's a problem, you know? So we're having to clean that thing out, you know, to make sure we don't have problems. But it's tenacious in trying to find it's sustenance. And for those of us who sink our roots deep into Christ and the word of God, that's where we find the living water of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, those who believe in me, out of him will flow raging torrents of living water. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. And I look at my life, you've heard me say this, I feel more like a dripping spigot than a raging tide of Holy Spirit, you know? But with God's help, that can change. That living freshness of the living God as we sink our roots deep in Him. 
And he says the heart is deceitful above all things. We live in a time and we have churches where it's like, hey, just trust your heart. Go with your heart. Oh, you feel that you're a different gender? Hey, go with it. You feel that you're this? Hey, go with it. Hey, you feel this? Go with it. Trust your heart. Be, be true to yourself. But God says, look, the heart is sick. We're fallen. And that's why the Lord is constantly showing us our heart. That's why it hurts, because when Jesus talked to people, man, you know, it hurt. But it was so that he could give them life. That's why he sent Jeremiah and the other prophets. This is going to hurt, but it's so that we can fix the problems. You're sick, and I got to give you the prognosis of your illness so we can get you healed up. And Jesus is that great physician who heals us with his blood. So God cares so much about us. But we live in a time where it's like, well, this is what I feel. It doesn't matter. Can you imagine again going to the doctor and saying, well, I feel fine. The doctor going, well, I don't care if you feel fine. You've got a problem and we need to get you into surgery. You know? Feelings are deceptive. And with all of this, because it is painful to hear these truths, people hated God and they hated Jeremiah. Chapter 20. How are we doing on time? Good. Chapter 20. Look at where this is coming from. Chapter 20, verse 1. Now Peshur the priest, the son of Emer, who was the chief officer in the house of the Lord. This guy is big dog priest, Okay. He heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Peshur beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. The next day, Peshur released Jeremiah from the stocks. And Jeremiah said to him, The Lord does not call your name Peshur, Pesh, yeah, Peshur, but terror on every side. For this says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. Down to verse 6. And you, Peshur, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. To Babylon you shall go, and there you shall die. And there you shall be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied falsely. Here he is. He's just sharing the truth of God. And the priest of the house of God is beating him up and putting him in stocks. Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, speaking the truth to humanity in his love for them. And what do they do to him? They beat him. They malign him. They blaspheme him. They crucify him. For us, in this time where people are so resistant to the word of God and to the Lord himself, when we speak the truth of the word of God, people are going to hate us. Jesus told us that. And he said, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, for in like manner they persecuted the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Zephaniah, Malachi, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the list goes on. We're in good company. It doesn't mean that we're jerks, okay? But when we speak the truth of God, it hurts our sin nature. It's that giving the diagnosis of our sin and it's not comfortable. Nevertheless, we need to do it. We're called of God to speak the truth, to tell people about these things. And the rest of chapter 20 Jeremiah is so depressed, he's saying, I wish I was never born. I wish I had died in my mother's womb and it was just over. I can't take this. It's killing me. And then he says, I tried not to speak for the Lord, but it was like a fire shut up my bones and I had to do it. I couldn't hold it back. His love for the Lord was greater than the grief and the sorrow he was going with, going through. It's hard. 
he earned the name the weeping prophet. When we see the book of Lamentations, his heart is broken. When Josiah dies, his heart breaks because the last bastion of spiritual leadership was gone and everything was going to come down on the land of Judah. Chapter 21. Look at the response now. Nebuchadnezzar is on the march. Now it's time. He's moving. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent, him, sent to him Pashur, this is a different one, the son of Malchiah and Zephaniah the priest, the son of Messiah, saying, inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is making war against us. Yeah, I've been telling you that. It's coming. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful deeds and will make him withdraw from us. Now the judgment's coming. It's upon them. And Zedekiah's like, hey, Jeremiah, inquire of the Lord, please. Maybe he'll be good to us. You've had all this time, up to this point, 23 years, and you've fought God. Verse 8. And to this people you shall say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, who are besieging you shall live and shall have his life as a prize of war. Okay? God's response to this is, look, here's the deal. You can either accept my discipline and go into captivity in Babylon, or you can disobey me. You can stay here and you're going to die. And understand, going into Babylon was not a bad thing. Okay, if you consider captivity, you know, and how bad it could be. Egypt was bad. But God actually will tell the people of Judah, when you go in, I want you to just build homes, make a living there, raise your families, and just settle in. Okay, we got a long haul. 70 years you're going to be there. Such was the conditions in Babylon that when God opened up the door to bring them back, okay, um, to, to Jerusalem and to Judea and to Israel, when God gave the opportunity, the majority wanted to stay in Babylon. They had their homes, they had their businesses, they had their families, their grandkids. Life was okay. So God wasn't sending them into some hellhole where they were going to be slaves and beating out straw and making bricks for a pharaoh like in Egypt. He was going to discipline them. He was basically going to put them in time out for 70 years, okay? I'm still going to feed you. I'm still going to take care of you and everything, but you're in time out. But they wouldn't have it. They didn't want to listen. They had a choice. Chapter 25. We'll wrap up here. Actually, we're wrapping up with Zephaniah. Hang on. So chapter 25, the word that came to Jeremiah concerning the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Listen to what he says. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent you all his servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil ways and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given you. He's saying, look, 23 years I've been telling you to repent. God sent all these prophets. You could be staying here, but you didn't listen. Verse 11. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. These nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. 
Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves of even them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. So God's saying, look, I'm not going to be angry with you forever. Seventy years, then the ones who are punishing I'm using to punish you, they also are guilty and I will punish them. It's not going to be forever. Go over to the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 9, okay? So Zephaniah is going to be almost toward the end of the Old Testament. you got Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and then Malachi, all right? And this is where you see such a goodness of God and what the end game is. Now remember, Zephaniah is also prophesying during the time of uh, Josiah and Jeremiah. For at that time, okay, this is going into the millennial reign, okay, of Christ. God's judgment upon the world will not be forever. There's going to be a time where he's going to make everything right. At that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, okay? They're going to speak truth and goodness and holiness. That all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. This is the entirety of the nations. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offspring. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice, speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth any deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Now get this. This is the restoration. This is the time where everything is just brought together by the Lord. Sing aloud, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. So your sin is gone. Everything is put right. I love you. We're together. Now this is where it gets crazy cool. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. Listen. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. We see over and over again in Scripture the people of God rejoicing over the Lord and singing and praising him and glorifying him. We see over and over again in Scripture the angels singing and praising God. But at the end of the millennium, we see God himself when everything is brought to completion. God himself breaks out in song over the people he loves. What on earth, not even on earth, what in all of the universe and beyond does it sound like when God sings? You ever think about God singing? Because when I think of God, I think of like we see in Ezekiel and Daniel, where just this, the eyes of fire and the, the, the power and the strength. And, you know, Isaiah's freaking out when he sees the glory of the Lord and it's so incredible. And then can you imagine 
when all of God's beloved are amongst him, I just picture him in this power and might, just standing up with a loud voice and bellowing out a song for us. What will that be like? God rejoicing over us and singing to us. This like crazy duet where we're singing a love song to him and he's singing a love song to us. That's got to be an incredible tune. And I think, I almost wonder if the Lord, not just here, but because he loves us and gave his only begotten son for us, I wonder if he sings over us now, singing us love songs. But we just maybe don't hear them because we're so busy with other things. I have a problem with that. I don't hear things my wife tells me or my children tell me because I'm not tuned in. And they've even told me, it's like, you know, we don't know if you're just hard of hearing or it's like, you're just not paying attention. In my case, it's both, okay? God loves us. He loves Israel so much. He's been crying out to them for centuries, saying, let's get together. Let's make this right. He sent Jesus to the world so that we could become his bride, so that we could become children of the Most High God. He loves us so much. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're brokenhearted. Maybe you're going through stuff. Maybe you feel like God can't love you. God can't forgive you. Maybe you've gone too far. Remember Manasseh last week? He was a wicked, evil king. But when he repented and ran home to the Lord, God forgave him and God loved him and ministered to him. He finished out his days well. And all this time he's crying out to Israel and Judah going, come on, guys. And he's been seeking us and saving us from the beginning, from the Garden of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's always chasing us. He loves you radically. Rest in that love.